Word of God now. You can find our Old Testament reading in Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. It's page 763 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along there. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. Hear the living and abiding word of God. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely, because my flock became a prey, and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock, Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will, I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their folds shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Words there of the Lord judging the false shepherds of his people Israel, all those who led them, their leaders who led them away from him and exploited their leadership in the Old Testament. And he's promising them that he himself would come and be their shepherd. And, of course, that's what we see in Christ, our Lord Jesus. He comes as the great shepherd of the sheep who seeks out the lost, gives his life, lays down his life to save them. And then Christ, of course, gives his church under shepherds who will be like the chief shepherd, loving and serving and leading the flock like him. And it's that that we're going to read about now in Acts chapter 20. So turn with me to Acts 20, 
Uh, it's page 988 in the church Bible if you want to follow along. Acts chapter 20, verses 27 through 32. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that you would make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, and from the heart to our lips, to our conversation, to our actions, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which you give it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen talking about elders and deacons. Last Sunday we looked at the office of the deacon, and this morning we're looking at the office of the elder. We're doing this officer nomination process. Uh, there's more information in, on a, on a uh, letter in the back there you can pick up. It was also emailed out to you, and you'll see an officer nomination form tucked into your bulletin. But anyway, we're speaking about uh, these offices, offices in the church that Christ has given. And this morning we're talking about elders. The office of elder is one of the greatest gifts that Christ has given his church. Does it seem that way to you? The office of elder is one of the greatest gifts Christ has given his church. Maybe some of you hear that you say, of course, yes. When you've, had a, you've had a wonderful experience of elders who truly shepherded you and led you, and prayed for you, and counseled you, and rebuked you when you needed it, but in a gentle, humble way, who spoke God's word to you, and you welcomed that leadership and, and, and that authority there. It's a delight for, for you. And you see, yeah, elders, yes, praise God that Christ has given us elders. Some of you, perhaps, experience has been different. Maybe the idea of uh, authority makes you uncomfortable. The experience that you've had uh, of authority being used in ungodly ways or foolish ways or incompetent ways and you feel suspicious towards the idea of authority in Christ's church or authority that he, that he gives the elders or, or maybe the very idea that there are some people in the church who get a position of authority at all just doesn't sit well with you. you know, our, our culture doesn't like authority. We don't naturally like to be under someone else's authority. 
and the structure that we see here with elders given to the church can feel um, perhaps unspiritual, right? enforced and formal. Why do we have these authority structures in the church? Well, we, we have them because Scripture does. The clear teaching of Scripture is that Christ gives elders to His church, that He gives uh, those, He puts people in authority over His church, and there's no competition, there's no, there's no conflict between the authority and the structure He puts in place in His church and the, the, the organic, dynamic growth of His church. Those two things go together. Uh, uh, of course, a grapevine right, it grows best when it has a structure to grow on. Christ's church grows best when it has structure in place. The authority structure Christ has put there. The reason we have elders and the reason we have elders who are called ruling elders, who are in authority and whose job is to rule and govern in the church, is most of all because the church is the kingdom of God, isn't it? Right? We're not in a social club. Uh, we're here in the kingdom. And Christ is the king, and so that means authority, that means rule. Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? So he has authority over his church. We all affirm that. But how does Christ, the king, rule his kingdom? How does he govern his church? Well, he gives his word, he gives his spirit, and he rules by his word and spirit, especially through those that he calls and commissions to be elders, under-shepherds, officers in his church. He tells, Jesus says to his apostles in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's authority. Jesus, the king, giving to his apostles authority in his kingdom. He repeats the same idea in Matthew 18. He says that whatever to his apostles, he says, whatever, uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's saying, I'm giving you authority in my kingdom under me, but authority. And then, of course, Jesus gives the authority to his apostles. The apostles, then they go, they plant churches, and, and then they pass on authority to elders in the church. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So Christ the King rules His church. He has authority. He gives authority to His apostles. His apostles then hand it on to the elders of the church. But it's not just the apostles handing it on. It's Christ Himself giving these elders Still today, it's Christ who gives elders to the church. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Your elders are Christ's gift to the church. And their authority is because Christ has given them that authority. The goal of the authority is to build up the church. And that's why I started by saying that ruling elders, godly ruling elders, are one of the greatest gifts that Christ gives His church. Because they are there to represent Christ. They're there to rule on behalf of Christ, and they're there to minister Christ. 
They're there to shepherd the church. Their task is to, to, to minister Christ for the sake of Christ to the body of Christ. They don't have authority in themselves. They're under His authority. They're bound by God's Word. They can't tell you anything apart from His Word. They must tell you everything in His Word. They're there to minister to us for Christ's sake. You can't have a healthy and thriving church without godly elders. We need biblical, godly elders, right? It's not enough to have elders. We need godly ones. Elders who understand what their job is and elders who are qualified for it. Um, Otherwise, we are going to have all kinds of problems. Abusive authority, uh, misunderstanding, incompetence, uh, suspicion, all those sorts of things if we don't have elders who are godly and who understand what their job is. So what I want to do now, this morning, is look together at Acts chapter 20, 27 to 32, and look here at what Paul says about what an elder's job is and what kind of a man an elder is supposed to be. Just a quick word on the context before we dive in. Paul is the one speaking here. He's been traveling around, right, missionary journeys. This is what he does. He goes around city to city, church to church. He preaches the gospel, plants a church, ministers to that church for however long he is able to, and then goes on to the next one. And uh, in this case, he's been preaching and traveling through Asia, planting churches, and he's on his way now back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. And, and he's going to the church in Jerusalem because they've been suffering and struggling from persecution. He knows that he himself is probably going to be persecuted uh, when he gets there. But he's going there. And, and on the way, he takes a, a quick pit stop at Miletus. And he asks for the Ephesian elders from the church in Ephesus to come to Miletus to meet him there to have just a little time with him before he goes to Jerusalem. It's quite an emotional scene. He spent three years pastoring this church in Ephesus, planting the church there, and now he, he, he's meeting with them because he knows he's not going to see them again. He tells them as much in, in the passage, in the, in the context of the passage here. He says he's not going to see them again. So he, he wants them to have one final word from Paul. He wants to give them one last command and encouragement and a charge that they might continue on faithfully in their work. And he's passing on this baton of authority here. He's passing the authority on to the elders. He loved these men. He loves the church that they're serving in. And he is calling them, he's, he's calling them to be the elders that Christ has called them to be. To be faithful to the, the work God has given them there. And, and Paul's words to the Ephesian elders here are a window into what Paul thinks is so important for the church in Ephesus. Right? He knows, Paul knows, if the church in Ephesus is going to thrive, the elders have to be doing their job. And so he is commending them to this. And brothers and sisters, if our church is going to thrive and grow and flourish, if we're going to grow in Christ, we've got to have elders who are faithfully doing the work God has given them to do. All right, four headings as we work through the text here this morning. Four headings. First is the elder's task. The elder's task. The first thing we get in Acts chapter 20 is the elder's task. Look with me at verses 28 to 31. We get the elder's job description here. We can sum it up in two words. Watch out, Paul says. Take heed. 
Be on your guard. Beware. Pay attention. Right, he's saying, be like a sentry standing on a wall. You know danger's out there, and you're watching out. You're on duty. He says it again in verse 31, Therefore, watch, stay awake, be alert, be on guard. The essence of the elder's job is to watch out. Watch out for what? Verse 28, Paul says, first of all, take heed, watch out for yourself. Take heed to yourselves, he says. It's the same advice he gives young Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, he says. This is important. The elder's first job is to keep a close eye on his own soul. If we don't do this, if your elders don't do this, then, then, uh, then we will fail our church. Uh, we will, we will, we will, we will, uh, we will uh, make a shipwreck of what Christ has, has given us here. Um, you know, sometimes you might have this idea that being an elder, being a church officer, kind of automates the process of sanctification or gives you kind of a leg up, but it doesn't. In a sense, it probably just makes it harder. Right? You've got the same sin in you, the same conflict to deal with, right? and, and uh, uh, you're, you're, you're called to holiness, Nothing automatic about being ordained. It doesn't sanctify you. Elders need to keep a close watch on themselves. There was a Scottish pastor in the 19th century named Robert Murray McShane, and he wrote a few memorable words on the ministry about this aspect of keeping watch over ourselves, and they apply to the ministry of the elders as well. He says this, Do not forget the culture of the inner man. I mean, of the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument, I trust, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents that God blesses, so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Holy elders are what we need. Brothers and sisters, pray for your elders. Pray that we would do this. We keep watch over our souls. Not fall into temptation, but be conformed to Christ and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Elders watch their own souls, watch out for their own holiness, watch out on their own walk with the Lord. But then it goes on, verse 28 continues. Paul says, Take heed, watch out for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So now Paul's saying, Okay, so you, you, you're keeping your own heart. You're keeping your own soul. Now keep the church. Watch out for the church. Watch over the flock. Protect them. Care for them. Keep a close eye on, on the doctrine and on the life. Right? This is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is Paul's concern. Are there people in the church who are weak in their faith? Strengthen them in it. Are there areas the church needs to grow and learn and understand more about God's Word? Teach them. Are there areas where, where the church is, is, is not living a life that's biblical? Well, teach them. Instruct them. Help them. Show them the way to go. Paul says, the reason why you should do this, he slips in three reminders here in verse 28 to the elders here in Ephesus about why they should do this. 
why they should give themselves to this hard work of keeping watch over the flock God has given them. He says first that the reason they are elders is because the Holy Spirit made them elders. The Holy Spirit's given you this job, he's saying. Right? This isn't something you took to yourself. God himself gave you this task. The Spirit whom Christ has poured out on his church has been given to you so that you might be called to this service of being an elder. Don't neglect the duty that God himself has given you, he's saying. Second, he's reminding them here that it's, uh, it's not their flock, it's God's flock. Shepherd, the flock of God. It's not your flock, elders, it's God's flock. You've been entrusted with God's own people. Then he reminds them, the Holy Spirit has made you an elder to shepherd the flock of God. And by the way, this flock of God is the one he purchased with his own blood. Just to underline how much this flock matters to God. God gave his son to die for this church and for every single member in it. Are you shepherding them with that in mind? Caring for them and, and, and loving them and, and, and keeping a close watch on the spiritual well-being of every single member because Christ died for them. If that's how much the chief shepherd loved his church, then shouldn't under-shepherds love the church in the same way? So Paul says, watch yourself. Watch the church. And then he says, watch out for wolves. One of the professors at Westminster used to say quite often that the elder's job is to feed sheep and hunt wolves. Uh, That's a good way to put it. Feed sheep, hunt wolves. That's basically what Paul is saying here. Hunt the wolves. There are dangers which threaten the church. He's describing false teachers here who are going to come and and teach false things. Um, uh, And and false doctrine is not just uh, stuff that is um, right theoretical, Abstract, but false doctrine has real consequences. It will really, it can derail a Christian. Paul's saying, "Watch out! It can it can it can destroy the church." Uh, false teaching is just as rampant in our day as it was in Paul's. Misunderstanding is just as rampant in ours. False teachers are just as prevalent and prominent. Right? The prosperity gospel, the social gospel, the gospel of expressive individualism—all these things that our culture is peddling as a false gospel. We need to be on guard against them and ready to uh, help the church to uh, uh, be equipped to resist them. Paul warns the elders here in, in verse 30 that some of these wolves are actually among them already, in the church already, perhaps even among the elders themselves already, he, he might mean. He's saying, be on your guard. There could be false teachers outside. There could be inside. Watch out. Be ready. And then, in all of this watching out, watching out for yourself, for others, and wolves that come to attack the church, Paul adds in verse 31, Watch me. Watch me, he says. He says, remember what you saw me do. He reminds the elders of his ministry, what his ministry to the Ephesian church was like. He says in verse 31, Therefore, watch And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. 
Paul's holding up himself as an example to the elders of what this watching out for the church looks like. Ministering night and day, warning night and day. The word warn here that Paul uses means to admonish. It means to teach, but to teach in a, in a way that's not uh, you're closed off in a classroom, but really out in the real world. He's not like the, 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 it's not the, 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 the uh, lecture of military strategy right at West Point, but it's the sergeant in the trench shouting orders. That, that kind of teaching and admonishing that Paul's describing here. He was ministering night and day, teaching the church, warning the church there in Ephesus, telling them about Christ, telling them the gospel, telling them about the kingdom, telling them how to live in light of it all. Paul's saying, this is what elders need to do. And, and, and Paul's, Paul's doing this not as just, well, this is my job, so I'll do it. But he's doing this because his heart's in it. He loves this. He loves the church. He loves the gospel. He loves Christ. And so he's laboring over this church with tears, he says. Earnest, heartfelt ministry to them. Over in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul compares his love for the church there to the love of a nursing mother for her children. It's the same kind of love he's talking about here in Ephesian, uh, to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Every member of that church he loves and has concern for and watches out for. That's the elders' task. It's a hard task. What tool do we need? to do it. That's what we see next, the elder's tool. Verses 27 and then verse 32. What tool does the Holy Spirit give to the elders to do this work of watching out, warning, admonishing, defending the church? Verse 27. Paul charges the elders there to keep watch over the church, and there in verse 27 he reminds them that he taught them the whole counsel of God. He reminds them of this, right? Uh, that, that he is the one who taught them everything God's word has to say, the whole system of truth about the gospel and God's word. And then in verse 31, he tells them that he admonished and warned them uh, constantly for three years. So we can, the, the deduction we can make if we hold those two verses together is that uh, Paul shepherded the church with the word of God. He kept watch over the church with the word of God. This is how he warned, instructed, taught, and guarded the church. Now, three years. Do you suppose he preached through every book of the Bible, verse by verse? Maybe. Maybe. Would have been preaching the Old Testament. Uh, but it would have been a lot of ground to cover uh, in, in three years. What does he mean, the whole counsel of God? I don't think he means he preached every, every chapter, every book. But... It means that he, he, Paul, understood everything God was saying in his word, the big picture, the big message, the main point, and he preached that for three years to the church in Ephesus. Verse 32, Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. On either end then, so he has this charge. First he says, verse 27, I preach the whole counsel of God. And then in verse 32 he says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. So sandwiched, right, this, this charge to the elders is sandwiched between two comments about God's word. 
And that just shows us that this is the tool that the elders are to use. The whole counsel of God, the word of his grace, as Paul calls it. God calls it. This is how you watch your own soul with the word. It's how you watch the church with the word. It's how you defend the church with the word of God. You've got to have the right tool, don't you, for the job? I've always loved to get in my tools. Um, you've got a hammer with an easy reach, box of screws, box of nails. For some reason, I often find them with screws and the hammer, right? And they're trying to drive the screw into the wood, um, two by four outside. Um, and, and, and then I go get the drill, and I show them how much easier it is with the drill, right? Um, with Daddy helping, of course. Um, you've got to have the right tool for the job. And now if an elder, if the elders try to minister, guard, keep themselves, the church, with any other tool, it's not going to work. The tool God has given us is the word of his gospel. This is what we need to use. All right, that's the elder's tool. So we've seen his task, we've seen his tool. Now, finally, the elder's traits. The elder's traits. Paul doesn't give us a, a list here of what you should look for in an elder. He does do that over in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, and you feel free to, to look over that later. Um, but what we can do here, looking at the elder's task and the elder's tool, is, is draw out some conclusions from the text about what the elder's traits need to be. If he's going to do this job and use this tool well, what are the traits that need to characterize him? First, he needs holiness. We said, the elder's task. Keep watch over his own soul. You have to be holy. You have to be walking with the Lord, self-controlled, a man of integrity, a man of humility, walking closely with Jesus Christ as a faithful disciple of him. As you consider, who are we going to nominate to be an elder in Christ's church? Look for a man who is holy. Second, the elder needs to know the church. The elder has to be someone who knows the church. His task is to keep watch over the church. So you have to know the church. You can't shepherd sheep if you don't know the sheep. Shepherds should smell like they're sheep. We need to know the church. We need to know the members of the church at a deep level. It doesn't mean that elders have to be extroverts, but they have to love the church and be ready to serve the church humbly and be deeply invested in the church. Third, the elder needs to be humble and a servant. Knowing the church and loving the church demands humility and a willingness to serve. Elders must, right? We're, we're following our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet and said, you go do likewise. Right? He, he gave his apostles authority, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and he said, now here's what you do. Get down and wash your disciples, the, the, the one another's feet. Right? And so with this authority comes a call to serve as well. Right? So you don't become an elder because you, you, you want to feel important or you want to be in charge of something but because Christ has loved and served you, and now he's called you to go love and serve his church in this particular leadership role. So look for someone who's a humble servant. Fourth, the elder needs to be a man of discernment. We said elder's task is to protect the church from false teachers. You've got to be discerning to do that. 
got to be wise. You've got to know right, what the particular dangers and errors are that are facing the church, perhaps infiltrating the church, threatening the church. You've got to know them, be aware of them. You need not only the discernment for that, also the courage to address it, the wisdom to know when it's time to act and what to say. And this requires discernment. A fifth trait for the elders. Elders need to know their Bible. This is their tool. You've got to know how to use it. You've got to know it. You've got to understand how to use it. Specifically, Paul tells the elders here about the whole counsel of God. And I think that's, a, that's an important concept for us, that elders should know their tool is the whole counsel of God. Elders should know the Bible and its message better than anybody in the church. Or we should give ourselves to it, to know it and study it and understand how to apply it. And not just, not just as a collection of disparate parts, but as a whole system of doctrine. Our confessions and catechism are so helpful for us here. We should know these and, and be ready to, to use them. To be an elder is to be an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ, to represent Him, to know the Word like He does. And minister that word like he does. And know his church like he does. And love his church like he does. And serve it like he does. Warn, teach, admonish as tenderly and as tough as he does. That's a hard thing. That's a hard calling, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Paul says, 2 Corinthians 2.16, as he comes to the end of a section where he's been describing the calling of an apostle, he says, uh, who is sufficient for these things? You could say that after hearing what an elder's task is and what his traits are to be. Who's sufficient for this? Who can do this? Elders are just men like anybody else. I remember as a child seeing my pastor at the front of the church and realizing one Sunday that he didn't get to hear sermons. Right? Who's going to pastor the pastor? Right? Who's going to elder the elder? Paul tells the Ephesians here, Acts 20, verse 32, who's sufficient for these things? Who's going to elder the elders? He says, verse 32, so now, brothers, I commend you to God. Right? He's your elder. He's your pastor. He's your shepherd. He's your overseer. He'll warn you. He'll guard you. He'll guide you. Paul points them to God. He points them to the word of God's grace. He says it's able to build you up. It's able to give you an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Our elder is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our chief shepherd who oversees our souls and rules us and governs us, who gave himself for us, who warns and teaches and admonishes us with all patience and gentleness, who gave his life to protect us, to save us. Elders need to run to God and run to the Lord Jesus Christ and be pastored by him if we're going to do our job right. It's the only way we can do it. Now, brothers and sisters, as we close, let me address the question. What do we do? What do we do? Now, um, 
right? I addressed this a little bit last week as well. This is one of those types of sermons where there's a particular, there's a clear application if you're an elder. Plenty of it, maybe more than you like. What about the rest of us? Right? Those of you who aren't elders, right? What, what, what do you do? This, um, this sermon's for you too, right? First of all, pray. Pray for your elders whom you already have, whom Christ has given you, their Christ's gift to his church. Pray for them. Pray for us. We have a calling from Christ to love, serve, and protect, and guide, and govern this church. Please pray for us. We cannot do the work apart from Christ, and we cannot do it unless you're praying for us in it, that he would strengthen us for it. We need your prayers. Second of all, pray that you would learn to receive the leadership of the elders as the leadership of Christ. Pray that you would learn more and more to respond to the elders as you would respond to the Lord Jesus. That as the elders lead you according to the word of God, and as they faithfully fulfill their calling, respond to that as you would Christ's leadership. Third thing, consider, consider nominating an elder. As you think about this question, right? Think through what we've just spoken about, the elders' traits, what they should be from Acts chapter 20. Look over at 1 Timothy 3 as well, if you like, right? Think, is this man holy? Does he love the Lord? Does he love the church? Does he know the word of God? Is he committed to the church? He doesn't have to be a seminary professor. He doesn't have to have that kind of knowledge. But does he know the whole counsel of God and how to apply it? Is he seeking to grow in these things? Is he seeking to love and serve the church? Does he have these gifts from, from God? Fourth, if you are, right, if you're not an elder, if you're a man who's a member of our church, and you've been a member of our church for a little while, consider about, consider this. Or don't think automatically, I, I definitely don't have the gifts to be an elder. Right? Ask yourself, well, why not? Why not? Maybe you'd say, well, I'm not equipped right now. Okay, well, why not make it your ambition by the grace of God to be equipped and to be at a place in a few years' time, down the road, another season perhaps, but at some point, be equipped. Know the whole counsel of God so that you could serve if the Lord did call you. What about the women? Well, pray. Train up your children. Train up your sons. Teach them the word of God. Encourage them in it. Think perhaps they could be elders in the church someday. I'm going to try to train and equip them the best I can from a young age to know the counsel of God and to love the church of God and to be willing to serve. Encourage your husbands to consider. Encourage them in their walk with the Lord. For all of us, right, for everyone, there's, there's work to be done in the church. Right? There are ways to serve uh, the elders don't do all the work themselves. Um, uh, the elders oversee, but there's so much ministry that needs to be done. So make yourself available. Right? We said this with the deacons as well, right? Make yourself available to the deacons. What can I do to serve and help? And you can say the same thing to the elders. What ministries do you, are there? Are, are there ministries I could get involved with in and that uh, that you need assistance with? How can I help and serve in this? And finally, brothers and sisters. 
The last thing to do is to entrust yourself and entrust our church to the elder, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about what an elder is supposed to be, what his job is, what his traits are to be. But your elders are going to sin. And they're going to fail and they're going to let you down and offend you, perhaps sin against you, hurt you. What do you do when that happens? Say, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to walk away from this. Decide that, that, that I don't need elders after all. Approach them. Speak with them graciously. But most of all, brothers and sisters, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He is that elder who perfectly rules and graciously governs his church. And you. First Peter 2.25 calls Christ the chief shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is your elder. So trust in him. Right? His authority is perfect. He never abuses it. His wisdom is perfect. He's always competent for the task. His resources for you are endless. And himself, he'll give them. Go to him and ask. He's meek. He's humble, gentle with sinners. He's wise and gracious. He's, his, his rebukes that he gives in his word are always right. So look to him most of all. And trust yourself to him. And trust our church to him. Trust your elders to him. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. We thank you that he gives elders to our church. We pray that you would raise up and equip those whom you would have to serve as elders here. And make us faithful and cause our church to flourish under the humble, Christ-representing leadership that we would, that we would see here. Lord, we, we pray that you would do these things. We commend ourselves to you and to the word of your grace. Amen.